BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tribune Audio Network. We did have a guy here who I saw putting on mascara once. And you know what? He looked good. (laughs) He looked really good. Well, I I don't see myself doing that. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. We are investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, and taking you behind the scenes. This is the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On today's episode, a different set of rules, the loophole that allows your lawmaker to avoid transparency. And sick dogs and a heartbroken family, the breeder with a history of bad behavior, and the reason she was still able to sell. Hello, thanks for joining us. I'm Jenna Sachs, here with Brian Polson. Hello. And Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi. So Wisconsin lawmakers are not following the same rules as everybody else, at least not when it comes to transparency. So Amanda investigated a decades-old loophole in the law. Now there is a renewed push for change. So public records like emails, calendars, credit card statements, they matter because they expose corruption and they give you information like who's influencing the decision makers, how state lawmakers use your tax dollars, and how they make decisions. So that's why most public agencies are legally required to hold on to those documents. You can't see them if they're destroyed. But an exception going back more than 40 years allows Wisconsin state lawmakers to delete their public records at almost any time for pretty much any reason. So the people who wrote the rules for everybody else don't need to follow them. There's a a sense that power is not going to voluntarily concede power, right? Um, It's going to be the public that demands that power is uh, conceded back to the public. That's State Senator Chris Larson. He had introduced a bill a few years ago that would have prevented state lawmakers from destroying records, but it didn't go anywhere. After our story aired, he reintroduced the legislation, and he's hoping it will get some traction this session. So first, just off the top, to be clear here, all other government agencies in the state have to keep records, and they have certain policies for how long they have to keep them. This only applies to the actual people who make the laws. Is that right? That's correct. And one of the things when we were talking to an open records attorney for this story that she said was, it matters who makes the laws. We couldn't pinpoint exactly when they put this special provision. We found it going back at least 41 or 42 years. So it could have existed as a general practice for a lot longer. But we know for at least that long, they've had it by the book where legally they can delete things that everyone else has to keep. So if you work uh, for the city of Milwaukee and you're an engineer, you have to keep the plans, the drafts of the plans, everything for a set period of time that's outlined in record retention schedules. If you're a state lawmaker, you can delete your calendar, you can delete your emails, you can make it so no one else can see what you're really up to. If you keep them, though, you have to turn them over as a lawmaker, right? Right. I mean, that's... Correct. So if you do keep them, and this is where it gets tricky, so 
they can't delete their records once someone has asked for them in an open records request. So, you know, if I, and we put this this whole thing to the test by sending out open records requests. So you can't say, oh, Amanda St. Hilaire really wants my emails. Now I can purge them. According to the law, you have to keep them. But when you turn over your records, you also don't have to tell people, oh, well, I actually had deleted this before you filed the request. So it's impossible to know in some cases what, if anything, has been deleted and how much. Sometimes you can kind of figure it out if you do some detective work. You can take your best guess, but a lot of it is still left in the dark. How difficult was it to get lawmakers to talk to you about this issue? Did they want to talk about it or not want to talk (laughs) Um, about it? Very few people wanted to talk about this. So what happened was um, when we figured out that this was a thing that lawmakers could do. We started by filing a bunch of open records requests to see what we would get back, to see if people would own up to deleting records, even though legally they don't have to. So that's where we found out that um, Senator Scott Fitzgerald deletes his public calendar daily. That's where we found out that a former state lawmaker deletes all of his emails on a deleted, I should say, he's not in office anymore, all of his emails on a regular basis. So as we started to gather that and say, okay, this is actually happening, it's not just a theoretical loophole, it's put into practice, we started calling people. And of course, the ones who admitted to deleting records, they did not want to talk to us about that. Um, they did not provide us answers as to why. They delete those records because we thought, okay, maybe the, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe, um, you know, you're having trouble with record storage. Give us a reason. No one would. And then even as we were calling around to other lawmakers, it, there just seemed to be a, a reluctance to discuss this issue. It's when we found Chris Larson's old legislation that had died and we called him up. That's when he said, yeah, I'll talk to you about this because he's the one who wanted to get rid of that exception. Uh, One thing that I get, so each legislator, whether they're a state representative or a senator, they are their own keeper of their own records, right? Correct. So Senator Larson versus some other senator or some other state representative, they have their own policies, their own decision-making as to how long it keeps. So you'd say Scott Fitzgerald was deleting his calendar every day, then you have somebody else who, what, keeps them for months or years? Right. But again, we don't know what they're selectively deleting from that calendar. And you might be listening to this thinking, so what? few emails, someone's calendar, I've never filed an open records request before, I don't really care. The issue is, you know, if you're meeting with someone who maybe you don't want the public to know is influencing your vote, and that's on your calendar... And now the public doesn't have access to it. We're deprived of information about how you arrived at that decision or what your real motivation might be. So it can disguise influence. It can disguise influence with emails. It can disguise um, if, if there have been issues going on or if there are some inconsistencies with votes, um, it, with spending records. You know, that's that's a direct impact on your tax dollars. So... Even if you're not the one filing those records, if no one can see them, then it's harder for you to make decisions about these people you elect, and these are the people making decisions with your money. So not being able to see these is pretty much like not being able to access your bank account. 
you have no idea what's going on. So let's say they all had to retain their records. Is this a matter of tax dollars? Would it be more expensive to have to do that? That depends. So the interesting thing is the governor's office is required to retain records. The governor's office, the people who work over there can't just delete their records. So they've figured out a way to store all of this. And especially with technology now, you can fit thousands and thousands of emails on even a small thumb drive. The question is, does this put a bigger burden on IT? Do they need to then hire a few more people in IT? That's really a question Every mark. other agency has to do this. How much more expensive right. could it be for a handful of lawmakers, I guess, to, well, that's to have the to thing. do the same your, thing? Well, your, that's your town that has a thousand people in it and very few resources has to figure out how to retain all of their records. You would think a state lawmaker's office would be able to do the same, whether it's a matter of digital storage. Um, Senator Larson's original bill would have required lawmakers to send over their records to basically a neutral party. That way, someone else is making sure they're retained and no one can selectively go in and save it. And then you're not dealing with partisan this or partisan that. Um, and you would think it would be a nonpartisan issue, but it's it's hard to convince people in power to give up a pretty nice perk that they have and that they're used to having. Uh, with Senator Fitzgerald's calendar, I don't mean to just keep going back to that, but being deleted every day, it's unusual, right? There was nobody else you found doing that. No, everybody else had a calendar to give me. Now, some of those calendars didn't have a whole lot of things but on they them. they had something. But they right. had something. So, so my question is, it raises certainly the question of why, but I also wonder this. When you're requesting their calendars, are you only getting what has happened in the past? I mean, the whole purpose of a calendar is what's coming. So you know who's coming to see you, what appointments you have. Right. Wouldn't Senator Fitzgerald have a calendar going forward each day? So that's what when we were trying to figure out why he wouldn't want to talk to us, his staff said, well, he's just he's totally booked this next week. We have no time. So I was a little bit of a brat. And knowing that they couldn't, (laughs) not that I enjoyed any part of that at all, and knowing that they can't delete records after I request them, I requested, okay, give me his next two weeks going forward, which was the time frame in which I had asked for the interview. The calendar was blank except for three public appearances. So, A, that told me that there was time to discuss the issue, if that's on the calendar. Um, but, yes, the idea of the calendar is to keep it going forward. Well, that the, reason, I guess, I'm sorry, that raises so many more questions for me because you think if, if you only have three things on your calendar, one of two things has to be true. You're using a different system to track what you're doing, which, which means you're hiding that from the public because that should be a public record, or you're not doing anything. Well, to be fair, this was when they were not in session. So you expect okay. the calendar to not to have as much on it. Um, right. But with that regard, especially since we offered to go to him, you would think that then there would be lots of time for an interview. Um, and they are not required to give me their personal calendar. So. If you're giving someone the benefit of the doubt of, hey, there might be something with family going on, things like that, that explanation was never given to me. So, of course, you could could request these same calendars now that they're back in session and there should be a lot more on it. Exactly. One would think, one would hope, I guess, (laughs) as as a taxpayer. I smell a follow-up. But the, the, the interesting thing with this is 
when you're requesting these records, even though the point of the calendar is to keep dates going forward, you can't anticipate what kind of record you might be looking for until something's happened. So from a reporter standpoint, let's say we learned about this meeting and, um, you know, for whatever reason, people wanted to cover it up. We hear about it after the fact. So that's where getting the record of the fact that it happened in the past is crucial. But if it doesn't exist, then it just kind of stays secret. And that violates the, the principles behind what we call sunshine laws, um, that are designed to illuminate the actions of government. You mentioned Chris Larson plans to reintroduce this. Is he optimistic it's going to go anywhere this time? He he has already reintroduced it, and it does have bipartisan sponsorship this time, which last time it was it was mostly, if not all, Democrats. This time there's at least one Republican on there. So he's optimistic because it's gotten a little more attention Transparency has definitely been a big talking point, especially um, with what happened at the end of 2018 um, with the outgoing group of lawmakers and Governor Walker and the rule changes and everything like that. So he seems optimistic. But with bills, you never really know. A lot of times we think of things as having vocal opposition and vocal support. And the reality is the death of most legislation happens because it fizzles out or the chair of the committee never gave it a hearing. So a lot of those conversations mm-hmm. go on behind closed doors, if at all. Exactly. Correct. And we and that's a whole different story because we don't have access to a lot of those closed meetings either. So a few people with a lot of power can really hold up something like this. And no one's going to come out and say... I want to be able to keep my record secret because that doesn't, it's not really a great thing yeah, to campaign on. This is a hard on. one if there's enough transparency and enough light shed on this. It's hard for any one lawmaker to say, I oppose this because I should be able to get rid of my record. Right. And that's why I think you don't see a lot of people wanting to discuss it because. They would probably rather you just kind of go away. <laughs> you guessing. know, I get that. I think a lot of people would rather yeah. we just kind of go away. But, you know, that's that's the point of, of doing these kinds of stories so people know. And the mentality used to be don't cover this issue because maybe state lawmakers won't figure out they can delete their records. They know they can delete their records because they're already doing it. So the issue now is bringing it to the public. Well, good job, Amanda. Yeah. We know you like holding people accountable and you <laughs> love public records. I love public records. It's the perfect mix. It's, uh, it's, it's a really cool thing that I'm into. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, if you have a story for the Fox 6 investigators, we want to hear it. You can call us at 414-586-2777 or email us at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. So this next one, I'm telling you. All right. I'm just going to say it's about a Port Washington family. They opened their hearts when they welcomed two new puppies into their home. But within days, they were heartbroken when both dogs fell gravely ill and one of the dogs had to be euthanized. The family asked Jenna to investigate the cellar. And what Jenna uncovered was a history of violations and concerns about the dogs under this woman's care. 
Yeah, it turns out the seller, Nicole Music, had been investigated by state and local officials before. In the past, she's been cited for mistreating animals, not having rabies vaccinations, not giving her dogs enough water, dogs running at large, and untagged dogs. She had a state dog seller's license at the time of this sale, but she also has a history of violating dog selling laws. For this story, I spoke with a humane officer for Rock County who has visited her property before um, several times, and she described finding puppies in some pretty deplorable conditions at one of those visits. There's a group of, I believe, nine or ten of them um, in a small kennel. It was completely filled with feces. Uh, They were filthy dirty. The smell, I mean, you could smell them before you found them. Um, There wasn't access at that time to food and water. So when you got this call, what was your first step in terms of documents and gathering all the information for this? Well, uh, the first thing I did was look on uh, Wisconsin Circuit Court records. I looked up this seller's name to see if she had any violations, and she did. She had a few for not giving dogs enough water for an untagged dog and a dog running at large. So there was only four things there. It didn't seem... Like she had a lengthy history of issues, but we also know that sometimes the guilty convictions aren't the full picture. Sometimes they're just what ended up being the guilty convictions. So I requested a lot of um, documentation from the state, from the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection. And when I got that documentation, which was pretty detailed, I found quite a history there, a history of complaints about her, uh, about concerns that were raised about her dogs, um, a dog that had died before, um, and basically a history of violating state dog selling laws, um, obtaining a license, but then continuing to have issues uh, with things that she knew she should not be doing. She knew that her dogs needed to have um, certificates of veterinary inspection. She knew that they needed to have rabies vaccinations, and she continued to have issues with those things. And also, there were visits from law enforcement and state investigators for a property, and they found concerning things that she was cited for at the time, but she was not ultimately found guilty of. You've done this a long time, and you get a lot of complaints. When you talk animal stories or anything, you know, people get really worked up. They get very emotional. And sometimes for any one individual who's had a pet that dies, it's a very emotional experience and traumatic experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean just because your animal died that the person you bought it from did something wrong. So when you get a complaint like this, how do you know if this is just one unhappy person who had a really unlucky experience or if this is something that perhaps the seller or breeder did wrong? Well, obviously, you just have to consult with people who know more than you do. You do. I mean, I talked to uh, the Wisconsin Humane Society about the illness that um, made the second dog sick. Uh, there were two dogs that were purchased in this case. One died or had to be euthanized. because They both of, got sick. They both got sick very shortly after they were purchased. The first dog within 24 hours. Um, the second dog, I think, within two days after that. Um, the first dog, they think, died of a liver issue. And the second dog, who survived after a lot of care, uh, was positively tested for parvo, which is uh, something that gives vomiting and diarrhea gastrointestinal issues, and it can kill a dog. Now, that's not necessarily an indication of quality of care because it spreads very easily. So your dog could get it from living in bad conditions, or your dog can get it from licking a spot on the sidewalk that another dog had licked. So you that's why it was important for me to get the, the documentation of her previous interactions with law enforcement and the state, um, because 
she that those dogs could have come from a home that was just fine, um, and we don't know how those dog that dog got Parvo in the first place, whether it was from her home or something else. But we know there was a history there that was concerning. And and, and if her past has issues, it doesn't necessarily mean she's responsible for what happened here. But when you start seeing that track record, the pattern, yeah, the mm-hmm. pattern, it does raise that question of okay. The state and and others have known about all of these things, and then another bad outcome happens. When you found that history of all that had gone on, first of all, how did that change your approach, or and what did you do from there? Well, I wanted to talk to her. Um, I had scheduled an interview with Nicole Music, which she later canceled, and then I couldn't reach her again. Um, I had the address she had given me for the interview, which was the same as her business address. Uh, And I went there, and I met a man who identified himself as her soon-to-be ex-husband. This was in Janesville, is that right? This was in Janesville. It was kind of an unusual property. It looked kind of like a warehouse, and there were some hmm. trailers out front that I think they actually lived in. Um, it was by the airport out there. And how did you get this address? Had they given it to you? or She did you had find... given it okay. to me, right. but it was also listed on her Facebook page because she was a licensed dog seller, so she had to have a, a, an address listed. So you're there looking for her. I was there looking for her. I talked to her soon-to-be ex-husband who said to me that he... Uh, He didn't have anything to do with it. That was her deal. Um, And we had talked about, you know, some unusual confrontations that we have with people. This was an interesting one because when I approached him, he kept, he was upbeat when I talked to him about it, but he kept turning to the camera to promote his business, (laughs) which (laughs) Which is not something you get every day. And you're not talking about promote the dog selling business. No, his own, he had some sort of invention that was, that he he sold and he kept turning to the camera and pointing it and, you know, saying to go to that website, which I just (laughs) didn't quite know how to react to because I've never had that experience before. Um, Well, you said something, you kind of said something really fast here too that I don't know if anybody picked up on. You said it was her ex-husband. Right. But he's there, which just is also bizarre. Like, are they still in business together? Well, I mean, from everything I've seen, there is some documentation on this relationship too because they both also eventually spoke to state investigators separately and they both acknowledge that they're not together anymore. Um, But she can't sell dogs if she doesn't live there because that's her listed address. And she doesn't have a home right now or she didn't at the time of our story, which was you know, a few weeks ago. Um, so she can't sell dogs right now, but they have an unusual relationship. And I had some confusion along the way about what the state of that relationship was. He had told me some things about her that I actually didn't report on air because it seemed kind of catty uh, and it wasn't really relevant. Um, but it doesn't seem like the relationship was doing all that well. Well, because you go into, I mean, we've all done, you know, unscheduled interviews, confrontation interviews, whatever you want to call them, enough to know you know, generally how they're going to go, what kind of responses are going to happen. You kind of think through on the way there what your responses are going to be. And then someone throws you a curveball and it's like, what do I do with this? Yeah. And, you know, he was really friendly and he wasn't rude (laughs) to me. He wanted to promote his business. He did. He he didn't chase me away. He didn't tell me to leave. He saw us getting video of the property and he was very nice about it. Um, But he also said he didn't know anything about it and it was completely her business. But afterward, he did speak with a state investigator and I got a conversation. I got a, co- a copy of that conversation because I requested it. Um, he talked to the uh, Consumer talk- Protection Office, right? He, yep. He talked to a humane officer or humane okay. investigator for the state. And he's had a very different story that he was telling. He was saying, you know, she took dogs and she didn't 
always take care of them. He talked about, you know, buying dogs in other states, sometimes crawling under trailers to get them and bringing them back to the state. Um, And he had said sometimes they got dogs that were sick right away and sometimes they became sick. So they had a history of dealing with dogs that had become sick. And he said a history of dogs with Parvo. So there was... There was a lot going on there that I think was concerning to the state, which is why they recommended that her license, as a result of this, be suspended or revoked. But going off of that, given her previous history, I, I mean, I know that eventually the state said, hey, we recommend her license be revoked. Why did that take so long? How was she still able to sell with that history she had already had. You know, it's interesting. I asked um, Bambi Stoik. She's the Rock County Humane Society, our humane officer for Rock County Sheriff's Department. She's very knowledgeable. And she said, when it comes to dog sales, there's a big push towards being proactive and trying to gain compliance. If you're selling dogs and they have no idea that you're doing it, they can't do inspections and they can't stop by and address issues. They can just cite you and I guess hope for the best. So there's a push toward trying to bring people up to compliance. And that's why sometimes charges are dropped and they just settle for one guilty conviction. Because if you bring issues up to compliance by the time you go to court um, and you fix it, they say, good, we want you to be a responsible dog seller and then just move forward from there. So they're they're trying to monitor the dog sellers out there. Uh, but you would wonder, you know, given the fact that she had this history why she was able to get a dog seller's license. It's because they went to her property and they did the pre-inspection and she passed. Is this one of those cases, though, where you start getting involved, there's going to be media attention on this, and all of a sudden this process seems to move more quickly. Do you think that when you do, I, I guess, what influence do you think this story, this investigation by Context 6 had on that ultimate outcome? On the outcome of what? Of her, her license. Of or her did license? that happen before the story aired? Well, no, this happened ongoing while we were... While, While we were, were doing reporting the story. the story. But they yeah. knew we were looking into it. The state did. I don't know what influence it had. I mean, they got a complaint, and I know they always follow up with them. They did discuss me in some of the phone conversations that I listened to, which was interesting, because the, the gentleman I had approached was heard saying in the phone call that someone from Fox 6 had approached him, and he told her, no, he wasn't going to talk to me, and that uh, <laughs> she, Nicole, had spoken to a state investigator saying that her ex-husband was saying some very vindictive things to a TV news reporter. So that was interesting, because it was all kind of going on at the same time. But, you know, I do think the state takes these things seriously, and I think they they would have gotten to this point eventually. Maybe they sped it up a little bit for my sake. I really don't know. It's easier for me because I haven't had to communicate with them. I'm going to draw my own conclusion as a viewer and investigative (laughs) reporter that your involvement made a difference here, at least in giving more weight to what was going on. So, but one thing I wanted to ask you, you gave her name, Mm -hmm. Nicole... Music. Music. Did she operate under a business name? Was there a... It was called Nikki's Precious Paws. She had a Facebook page um, where she posted pictures. She also advertised on Craigslist, which is where this owner or the the dog purchaser found her. Um, But he did something that he probably shouldn't have done in retrospect, which was she offered to come to his house to show him show them the dogs. And really, when you're buying a dog, you should go to the property where it lives. So you can see the conditions. Right, right. So you can see the mom and the dad. You can ask questions in that environment. Um, It's just, it's a good step to making sure you're getting an animal that comes from a healthy environment. It's worth the slight inconvenience in the moment to prevent further issues. So is Nikki's Precious Paws still in business today? Her Facebook page has been taken down. It was taken down, I believe, the day after our story aired, and that's probably because people who love dogs 
care about these things very much. Especially on the internet. They do. And they there was some pretty harsh comments for her the day after this story aired. So it's, I think people were sending messages to her Facebook page and she probably got overwhelmed. I, that's just a guess. But I had seen people saying, let's send a lot of messages to her Facebook page and get her to take it down. So maybe that's what happened. But I, she's not allowed to sell right now uh, because she doesn't have a home. And that's one of the most basic things. You can't sell unless you have an address. But anyway, we could Is talk about this forever. Still working? That's what we. His you know his business yeah. website. I don't know. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, Contact 6 is always ready to help you with all sorts of consumer-related issues. If you've got a complaint, you can always fill out a form on our website, fox6now.com. That's the dinner bell, which means it's time... For dinner party questions. You love the dinner bell. I do. So this is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked at parties or while we're out at events. There is a catch. We have no idea what the question is. So several envelopes in front of us. We are going to pick one at random. Jenna, I think it's back to you. My turn. I hope we get an upbeat one this week. <laughs> we've had the <laughs> last, the last couple ones we've okay. had some serious conversations. That's not necessarily bad, though. Okay. The question is, oh, yeah, I get this one a lot. Do you do your own makeup? Yeah, I get this one, too. Oh, I've been waiting for this conversation. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Okay. Well, people think, because we work in TV news, that we have people helping us with our makeup. And I will tell you, I would look a lot better if I did. (laughs) (laughs) And every once in a while, if you get, like, a negative comment, it'll be like, who did so-and-so's makeup today? It's like, that. me. I Mm -hmm. I did it. I'm going to ask you both. What age were you when you started wearing makeup? I don't know, 13. I tried experimenting with it when I was like Middle 13. School. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't. Well, that's good. a sound bite that could be taken out of context. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, but with makeup, with makeup, I started experimenting with makeup <laughs> and nothing else. But so when you, I was 13, the, the like the bright white eyeshadow. But you both have many years of experience of wearing okay. makeup. No, but it's different it's, when when you're 13 and you you're trying on like bright pink lip gloss and white white eyeshadow with mixed in with blues and all that fun stuff. That is not makeup experience ex- like actual experience. Okay, but even I didn't as a learn young adults. I didn't start to be like what looks good in front of a camera until college when I was told I had to start wearing makeup by a professor. Um in a very, in a way, as a television kind. professor, I yes, hope. a television okay. professor. If it was like your lip professor. No, or something, my that lip would professor did not care awkward. if I wore makeup. Um, but my television professor, very kindly, was like, "You, you should start wearing some." Well, we should point out TV makeup is very different than real world makeup. If we go out after the doing right a sh- stuff, is well, we wear a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's. It's amazing how much you shine if you're not using a really thick compact or a foundation. Mm-hmm. We wear a lot of. There's a lot of fake eyelashes going around. There's a lot of really dark lipsticks. I mean, we look a bit ridiculous and sometimes. It's an impossible standard because now that everything's in HD, mm-hmm. it ha- it can't, and you can see your pores on TV. 
it can't look like you're heavily made up, but you have to be heavily made up so you don't look like a corpse. You look so, so pale unless you have a ton of right. blush on. Now, you, Brian, did not probably uh-huh. have a lot of experience no, with makeup. Did not Tell us have. about so, your makeup right, so routine. Or was, did he? It, no, so it was also a college. I did not experiment with makeup <laughs> at 13. Um, it was also a college. It wasn't a professor. So I was in. I was at the University of Missouri, a uh, great journalism school. There's my plug. Um, and, uh, and we were in what was called the broadcast performance class. I think it was like broadcast 101. And uh, they had one day, we're just in a regular classroom setting. We eventually worked at the college TV station. But on this day, we're just in a regular classroom. They brought in a makeup consultant from, I think it was from Mac. And Ooh, is, is it MAC? That's is it Mac? Fancy right, man. right. So that's yeah. the fancy people. So she came in and she addressed the classroom. But she addressed all of the female students and what they should be wearing, and you'll want this and you'll want that. And and the guys were all looking around thinking, okay, well, what about us? Are we supposed to wear some too? And she said, and I still remember this, oh, for the guys, there's just this compact, that uh, this bronzer. This is all you need. And it was it was a compact with like the little pad, the you know, mm-hmm. applicator. And, and I just remember inside it looked like a checkerboard of colors. But she said, you put this on and it'll just give you some color and it'll look great. And I was picked to do weekend anchoring the following Sunday. So I had my Mac compact <laughs> and I put this bronzer on as thickly as I could oh, because no. I, and it really gave me color and I'm fairly pale skinned as it is. And I went, and I still have, uh, uh, I have it framed actually, uh, Ben Bradley who works uh, in Chicago and I co-anchored on this night. We were both at KOMU TV in Columbia and I look Maybe worse than George Hamilton. <laughs> it's at least George Hamilton. It's bad. And um, where is this picture? I'll, and can we post it somewhere? I, I wonder if I put it on my Facebook page. I may have to put it on my on my Fox Six Investigators page so it can be publicly seen. Please. I have no shame. Um, but that was now that was in the beginning. So you think, oh well, Brian, you must have learned a lot since then, right? Here's the thing: I still go to like. Walmart or Meyer and go and just get some like CoverGirl or something because well, I don't know men, what else to do. The men Easy, here breezy, mostly, beautiful. Yeah, they yeah, mostly I, just wear foundation, right? Like that's yeah, pretty so much I mean, all the guys I, are wearing. I, I, there's a little foundation and I have the little wedges, the little triangles, right? And you put a little of that on and, and then there's some powder just so that you don't look so shiny. Right. I wish that my makeup routine were that simple. No, but I look terrible. I mean, I'm still telling you, watch <laughs> me on TV. I look like I just, I mean, it's, I've it's not how I've never seen you on TV and gone, wow, well, he looks bad. Maybe it's not terrible. It could be better. We did have a guy here who I saw putting on mascara once. And you know what? He looked good. <laughs> he looked really good. Well, I, good I don't see myself doing that. But I could probably have better makeup. And if there, I'm sure there's some makeup consultant out there now going, we have a new customer. I know, right? You know, fine, reach out to me. But, um, I, yeah, I don't know what it's I'm It's just doing. annoying that it, ta- it takes so long. Like, if, if you're a woman and you want me to get makeup and hair ready, that's, I mean, most of, if I'm not on air, I don't wear makeup to the point where when I do put makeup on here, I have coworkers who are like, oh, you look, you look nice today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had a one that's... who I walked in, I had no makeup. And he was like, are you okay? Are you feeling all right? Or the, like, the old, no. are you feeling tired? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's what every that's, woman wants man. to hear. That's the way to every woman's heart. My husband learned very quickly to never, ever, ever say that um, under any circumstances. He's but, listening right now. He's getting a <laughs> reminder. It, I hope he's listening. Um, 
But it's like, oh, no, that's just how my face looks. But it, it is a really big difference depending on – there are so many different products out there and so many different things, and there's a difference when even if you skip a couple steps. Um, Maybe we're producer all Pete our own, should do my makeup. We're our own worst critic. <laughs> that that sounds like something that probably shouldn't happen, but I would like to see happen. So, yes, if you've been listening, bottom line, we do not know – we do not do our own makeup, and some of us should probably learn. A we do bit our own makeup. Oh, we do yes, not no, have yes. our okay. makeup. We do done. not have a makeup. Yeah, person. that's bad summary. Bottom line, <laughs> we do our own makeup, but we, some of us, could use a little help. Maybe learning to do it For a little record, better. For the record, she was looking right at me when we, she said that. We should do. We should do a tutorial. Like a, I'm a open. Fox, it, like Brian. My, my how wife to do has his said that she feels video. a little bit bad that she hasn't really taken me under her wing and taught me more. But she's a minimalist. <laughs> now she is a makeup minimalist. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, a less is more, which isn't TV makeup, right? That's what we were just saying. Mm-hmm. TV is not minimalist. It's you got to go more, I guess, but you got to walk that line with HD. That'll be. See, our I next, know more than I let on because I've heard you say it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to Open Record. We'd like to quickly thank the people behind the scenes who helped make this happen. No, I mean, they make this happen. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and our amazing executive producer, Leanne Watson. If you want more Open Record, you can just head to our website, fox6now.com. Tribune Audio Network.